This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. It just seemed like everyone was refreshed and revitalized and in a better spot than they were after the Detroit game, that's for sure. So it was, listen, it was kind of nice to, to have that break. It's, it's such a long season and not often do you get these kind of opportunities to spend the time with, with friends and family that you don't get to see much throughout the season. So I think guys really enjoyed themselves. Hopefully got revitalized in, in the body and the mind. It's good just for us to get a the holiday reset, just kind of go home, spend time with family, clear the mind, and then now that we came here, we came back ready to work. The feel in the locker room today and, and on the ice was, was really good. Actually, I wanted to see excitement, and that's exactly what we got. The mood tonight, compared to six days ago, it's night and day, and that's, uh, it was probably much needed for us to have that little break. It's tough watching what's going on up there in Buffalo. Thoughts go to everybody out up there, but you know, on, on our standpoint, clear the heads, clear the mind, get the excitement back in the game and definitely saw that today so hopefully that carries into tomorrow we wish you a merry christmas <laughs> and a happy new year coming up yeah yes 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 boy it feels like we were off for three weeks partner but really it was just what a few days it was a Close week a week right right yeah yeah I mean, did when it did, really was feel like a, did it really feel like a month? It didn't feel like a month to me. I felt there I was know. a lot happening. Yeah, well, there's always a lot happening. Yeah. As they say, the show, you know, the world continues to move on. And uh, we took a, a step back, much like the Lightning did. Yes. And I bet some people had to refresh a little bit what happened the previous game and who the Lightning are taking on tonight. But Montreal Canadiens, we will have it all for you. But did you, uh, you and Steve, everybody good? Have a good Christmas? Yeah, I think that was it good? the entire family, my family, was very happy that I was home two days earlier than expected. And I would like to, to say that our thoughts are with the Buffalo community. I hope that they can literally dig themselves out of basically the snowstorm that hit them. Tragically, people died, which yeah. is about the worst thing that you can imagine from from a weather event like this. And I hope that that's it. I hope that nobody else has any problems moving forward. I, I have no concept of what that would even be like, Greg. And I grew up in the north, yeah. as did you, that a snowstorm would be so bad that people, I mean, I guess they were trapped in their cars, right? And they couldn't it's get help. I, I just can't even. I can't even fathom that. So, we wish the Buffalo community the best. Uh, for one, I'm glad the Lightning did not go to Buffalo. The Sabers not only had that game postponed; they subsequently had their game in Columbus postponed yesterday because they couldn't fly out. And I think that they were due to play the Red Wings. Maybe is that tonight yeah. or tomorrow? I think that game is is likely going to be postponed as well but the concern obviously is that that community gets gets up and running again and and can get over this but it makes you appreciate puts where we things live. in perspective and it makes you appreciate yeah. where we live i know that we have hurricanes but in december we don't have to worry about massive snowstorms we just have to worry about maybe putting on a jacket to go out in the morning you know because there were some chilly temps life-changing yeah, both are life-changing for sure if you get caught in a situation where you're not prepared. And I think, boy, Mother Nature just doesn't really care 
sometimes where you are. Yeah. And you're right. Thoughts and prayers to those people up north. I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I'm from Pittsburgh. You're from New York. We've seen nasty weather before. We've I mean, lived heck, through blizzards before. We have. Yeah. I mean, look, I remember waking up and, you know, when you're a kid, it's easier because you're like, oh, no school. <laughs> and so you're... You go outside and you play, but I mean, you you realize as you get a little bit older, those conditions. If you do have to go to work, it's it's brutal. And if you get caught, especially if you're older, that's really where you have to be concerned. Mm-hmm. You know. So I I think I actually think Bob, one of our listeners, was up there in Buffalo. Had he was visiting family, and yeah. I I had not seen anything on Twitter about it. But Bob, if you're out there, we're thinking about you, and you know your family. Hope all is is well, but. Uh, it does put things in perspective. And, you know, I think as John Cooper alluded to before he made that comment about thinking about the people in Buffalo is that it sounded like, and we'll find out tonight, partner, but it, it sounded like the the break, at least initially, did his team some good. And we kind of had speculated that, you know, with, with this yeah. becoming at a good time. Time will tell, but at least initially, that's what it sounds like. They have this game moved to March, and it's an afternoon game. It adds a back-to-back. But I think, as we said the day after the Detroit game, I think the Lightning would take that, not only because they got to avoid that weather, but where their game was at, the break probably came at a good time. They've played very, very good hockey, not quite the first half. They're 32 games in. So the halfway point is game 40 to 41. So we still got a little ways to go before we hit the official halfway point. But we're about to turn the calendar, which, if not mathematically, almost like from a perception standpoint, is turning to the second half. And could the Lightning have asked for anything more in the first half? I mean, I guess they could have. I guess they could be higher in the standings, but they're in a very good spot. We've seen their their team game come together, as we've talked about often, Greg. They've answered a number of questions that they had going into this season. Now they just have to keep doing it. And the schedule will get tough in January. There's a lot of travel, more back-to-backs. They've had the luxury, if you want to call it that, of being at home a lot for about a six-week span, and they made hay. They took advantage of that. Now, when they're going to be on an airplane more in January and busier, as we just talked about, you know, they got a game moved to the second half of the year. They have to keep, to use your term, <laughs> munching points or John Cooper's term <laughs> throughout these throughout these next several weeks and, and keep their standings yeah. position solid. It is solid right now. They have a gap between themselves and the fourth place team. If they stay in the top three, there's no issue with the wild card. They're going to be in the playoffs. And that's what they want to accomplish in this regular season as well as having their team game grow and evolve. But your team game can grow and evolve, but if you miss the playoffs, it's not going to do you any good because you're not going to have a chance to to play to, to win the Stanley Cup. So if you're going to try and win the Stanley Cup, you have to get in the playoffs first, and the Lightning have shown us that it doesn't really matter where they finish in the regular season as long as they get in. They can be a higher seed team. They can be a lower seed team. It doesn't seem to affect them once you get into a playoff series. Having said that, they need to get in. And and to this point, they've they've checked the boxes that they've needed to check. I'm not sure That's how I started on that tangent, but basically, like, yeah, no, you talked about the reset. So, yes, they lost their last two. Part of making the playoffs is avoiding long losing streaks. If they lose tonight, even mm-hmm. though 
they've had basically a week off. It'll be three straight losses the first time this year that that will have happened to them. They want to end this skid tonight and get back on the winning side of the ledger. Yep, and you know, a reboot, recharge, however you want to phrase it, I think is a is good for a team who's played, as we've always talked about, a lot of hockey over the last three years. So if you do believe that, and you do believe that rest, especially for a team like the Lightning, is beneficial, then you would think having a few days off will allow them to be a little bit more fresh and sharp. And I think more than anything, it's mental, too, getting away from the, the rink, maybe having some nice downtime with the family, and getting away from hockey, I think that's not a terrible thing. We'll talk to Brian Engblom about that coming up in about 20 minutes. We'll get his thoughts on the break and, you know, what to anticipate moving forward here for the Lightning because I think it does come at a pretty good time. But uh, when you take a look at this Lightning team, what do you want to see from them from here until really the regular season ends? What improvements have they made from start to at least right now? And I, I think there have been there have been a few. Probably the biggest thing for me, partner, and look, Andre Vasilevsky is going to get the start tonight in net. We'll see how sharp he is, and uh, it does look like everybody um, is going to be ready to go. The lines look like they're going to maybe change a little bit, at least in terms of what we typically see. It looks like the third line partner is going to be Kalorn, Sorelli, Maroon. Mm -hmm. Fourth line, Domestikov, Belmar, Perry. Hedman's with Bogosian. Cole with Chernak. Sergachev with Perbix. Yeah, so a couple of things there. I think that, and this may be born from the fact that they lost the game in Toronto, which is the first time we saw the lines shuffled. But I think that the coaching staff is interested to see what a line with Paul and Stamkos would look like with a different third guy. And that third guy had been Kalorn, but we know that Kalorn and Sorelli play so well together. So if you reunite Sorelli and Kalorn, that means you need somebody to fill Kalorn's spot. And in the last game, it was Nemestikov. And remember, Vladdy was coming off a game in Toronto in which he scored. So he got put in that line with, with Stamkos and Paul. It looks like tonight it's going to be Ross Colton playing with Stamkos and Paul. And Colton is coming off the game in Detroit in which he scored. And he had an assist. So there may be a little bit of some moving parts there, and it may not just be about that line. It may be also about let's put Kalorn back with Sorelli and see what, if we'll call it a third line, what, what we have in terms of a third line with Kalorn and Sorelli and a third guy, and that third guy tonight is Maroon. So there's some experimentation going on with, with kind of the middle of the forward lineup, if you will. Then you mentioned the D pairs. Perbix is back with Sergachev. Perbix had been playing with Hedman, and I think we were in agreement that they had formed a good pair. But Hedman has some experience playing with Bogosian, including in the 2020 playoffs. And we know from seeing Sergachev and Perbix play together that they made a good pair. And I think right now it is set. Cole and Chernak are your shutdown D pair. So I'm not thinking that much is going to happen with that pair. And maybe the question of who is going to play with Victor Hedman is still, it's not completely unanswered. We have some information, right? But I think the coaches are still looking to see what else they've got. And if that's the lineup tonight, that means that Foote and Flurry are going to be your extras. Bogosian is back in. 
What's interesting, I think, about the forward position, we, I mean, I, I think you and I have talked about this on the show, show it's, so it shouldn't be new to anybody that listens, but I think it's worth reiterating. I do think there is some intrigue in Ross Colton being in the top six, more so than typically the other bottom six forwards who make up the third and fourth lines. Maybe it's because of his youth and there's some upside there. Maybe it's because of past production. Could be a combination of both. We have talked about maybe his shot and his offensive abilities, I think, might make him a, an interesting candidate to be put up in a top six. I don't know how strongly you feel one way or the other, but I think out of all of the players that may potentially get an opportunity in that role, He's the one guy, I think, that has a little bit of offensive upside that intrigues me the most. Because I do think, from what we have seen, he has some finishing ability. And I think he does play with a certain grit. I think he's got good enough speed. You know, I, th I think he's, he has scored some big goals for the Lightning before. It feels like if you're going to give that a look, it makes some sense. And it may make some sense to go with that look maybe a little longer, to see if, if it actually sticks. I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I, it's the sense I get watching Colton play. I felt like that a little bit last year. And I'm not going to lie, I think it's mainly it was mainly his shot that impressed me. I, right. I felt like it was a legitimate shot. That You're right, though. He has a really upon, good he shot. Could do it. Yeah, yeah, he's got a really good shot. He's got a good slap shot. Yes. And he's got a good wrist shot from the circle. That's why he's been put in that trigger spot on Correct. the second power play unit. But as we talked about after the Detroit game, he's got good hands to finish around the net. That's why he's had success in the shootout. And that's how he scored that goal against the Red Wings in the second period when Ernie fumbled the puck and it came right to Colton. He was It was just him and the goalie. And he made a little forehand, backhand, forehand move and, and wristed it in. So there's no question that he has offensive upside. I'm not sure that they're saying... We want Ross Colton to play with Paul and Stamkos, and that was the decision. Because if that had been the decision, Colton would have been there at the start of the Detroit game, not at the start of this upcoming game. Mm -hmm. I think that this is they are they are looking to see what other options they have beyond Kalorn, Paul, and Stamkos as a line, and then Sorelli as the third line center with two wingers. I think that they are tinkering to reunite Kalorn and Sorelli, and then let's see how we can fill in the rest. And they're filling in the rest coming off a game in Detroit in which Colton played very well. So why not reward him, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense for sure. But if he that does well term. tonight, then exactly yeah. what you said, like what you said is true. So maybe this is an opportunity for him to look to shoot. He's playing with two guys who can also shoot. We know Stamkos can shoot. We've talked no about Nick Paul's wrist shot, which may be the hardest wrist shot on the team. So you got three trigger guys on that line, and we'll see if we'll see if Colton can mesh with them. I'm intrigued. For I don't sure. think he's played a lot. Yeah, I don't think he's played a lot with either of those guys, particularly. And this is the guy he's played played with the longer amount of time as far as a teammate, Stamkos. Yeah. I'm not sure that Stamkos and Colton have played together much at all. No. I think, think he and he and Paul played a, a little bit together last year in a bottom six. But you, 
Yeah, but you're right. I mean, I, I can't think of, of too many occasions where Ross Colton was in that role. So we'll see. I, I So for me, I, I think that'll be one of the individual players I will be looking at tonight, maybe a little closer, just to see how well that meshes. But you mentioned the back end. Does anything surprise you in terms of you know maybe going back to some original D pairings or mixing things up here and there? Because we had talked about that a lot yeah. as well. You know, who's going to play with Hedman? And you know, we made we made, and I, I think rightfully so. You wanted to find somebody who could settle in with Hedman. And again, this could just be John Cooper mixing and mashing, matching, and and keeping things a little fresh. But he he certainly went back to the the old reliable, if you want to call it that, with Perpix and Sturgachev, didn't he? At least according to yeah. The and I wonder if some of this. Let's see how regularly Bogosian plays now that we're past Christmas. Because you and I were in agreement that Bogosian not playing, which he had been in and out of the lineup leading up to Christmas, had less to do with what he was doing on the ice and more to do with getting the other guys in. Mm -hmm. Now we are approaching the second half. And... I don't, I'm not making a prediction here, Greg, but I'm curious to see if Bogosian is playing way more regularly now that we're on the other side of Christmas. And if he is, is he going to be playing with Victor Hedman? Wouldn't surprise me, would it? Like, if you're looking for somebody to settle in with Hedman, and maybe this is a little bit of a knee-jerk. Knee-jerk sounds like it's, it's rash or rushed. It's not, so I'm going to find another way of putting it maybe this is somewhat of a reaction to the fact that the lightning had some defensive problems against detroit but it wasn't it wasn't like one defense pair it was it was kind of systemic when they had breakdowns they had breakdowns team-wide but if it's not that if the lightning are saying we have colin chernak that's our that's our shutdown d pair that's our matchup pair that's our top penalty kill pair we know Sergachev and Pervix have played very well together. And while Pervix has done well with Hedman, let's reunite Bogosian and Hedman and see how this pair looks. And the reason I, I said I'm curious to see if Bogosian is in more regularly, if he is starting to play with Hedman, and I'm kind of putting the card a little bit ahead of the horse here because we know the Lightning can mix things up if things are not going well, but if this pairing proves to be as effective as it was in, in the past iteration, can you really see Bogosian getting pulled out of the lineup regularly and, and giving Hedman a different partner? Basically game in, game out. Yeah. I'm not sure right. I, I see that. So part of it is the pairing has to mesh and has to work. But if it does... I guess I'm curious to see if these are the six, which is what you were saying months ago, maybe not months ago, weeks ago. You were like, these are the top six in your mind. So how are you going to set them up? Well, if you're going to look at Cole and Chernak as a shutdown pair, now you have that set. How are you going to work the other two pairs? It's kind of like what I was saying with the forwards. Like if you're making a decision to, to put, in this case, Sorelli and Kalorn together, how is the rest of the lineup going to shake out? If you're going to put Chernak and Cole together, what are you going to do with your other 4D or 5D or 6D if you're including the, the guys that are sitting out tonight? And I'm wondering, now that we're post-Christmas, 
and we're going to see some stability in terms of who comes into the lineup. That the time of getting everyone some reps is going to dwindle. Do you think this is also about perhaps giving Chernak? I don't want to say a more defined role, but I mean basically you're playing with Ian Cole. We're not looking for a lot of offense from you guys. <laughs> You're out there to play hard minutes and make life miserable for the other team's top unit, perhaps. I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but in my mind, partner, that's that's kind of where I'm going with that, is that Chernak and Cole, maybe very similarly to, to Chernak and McDonough. Mm-hmm. Coop made the comparison today. Did he make that comparison? Between Cole and Did McDonough, he, he said they're not okay. identical, but... And Cole's okay. playing a 700th game tonight, which is why he was kind of asked the question about Cole. Gotcha. Okay. So in my mind, the way I'm looking at this, and again, I, I didn't hear Cooper's comments. You're right about my observation about the the top six. I think that's more of a compliment to Bogosian than anything we've seen previously. I think that's the top six. I actually think Flurry's done enough to be your seventh. I think Foot is your eighth at this point. And then from there, we kind of see how things play out. But I do think Cole and Chernak, for me, make the most sense as a pair that will be going against the other team's top line if that matchup is available. Because there's not a lot of gray area when you're talking about those two players and what you expect from them. Well, you block said... Block shots, yeah, be sorry, physical. No, no. Block shots, be physical and be a pain in the butt to play against, especially in your own zone. I think they can do that. Well, you said, do you think this decision is related to Chernak? And I I think the decision involves Chernak. The decision as far as how are you going to set your 6D, but I think the decision with Chernak, putting him with Cole, was made several weeks ago when they were put together. I think that they're, they're liking what they're seeing because Chernak was not himself playing with Hedman. I think we're all in agreement about that. Chernak and I don't started think looking himself playing with Chernak. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, in fairness. But Chernak yeah. started looking more like Eric Chernak, the Chernak that we have known. Yes. Once they put him with Ian Cole, so why would you change that? And then once those two started playing together, and Brian Engelbaum just came in, so he'll put on the headsets here and can join in the conversation. Once those two guys started playing together, then the decision was made to make them your matchup pair. And even if the Lightning were the road team, in the last meeting between the Lightning Canadians, it was Cole and Chernak seeing the Suzuki line. Suzuki and Caulfield were together. They have a new winger for tonight. It's Armia. Again, Montreal's trying to find some some combinations as well. But Suzuki and Caulfield are their two most dangerous offensive players, and who saw nearly all of them in the game in Montreal? It was Cole and Chernak, and let's bring in Brian. Brian, I know that we've talked to you about Chernak and how comfortable he's looked with Ian Cole. I'm not going to ask you if you're surprised about that. What I am going to ask you is, are you surprised that that pair has has almost been put into the shutdown role of seeing the other team's top players, understanding you do have Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev also right. yeah. on the bench. They could be used in that role, but they aren't. Uh, no, I'm not surprised uh, because 
Cherney's been in that role virtually ever since he became a member of the Lightning. And then, of course, with McDonough, that became a very obvious pair, and, and they did it all the time. So we've we've talked about the Chernak-Hedman situation, uh, and in my mind, it just wasn't working as, as great um, as maybe they had hoped. And minutes-wise, I think they were hoping that that's the way it would work. But having said that, I think there's a lot of advantages to having him with Cole. Um, Cole is certainly capable. He's actually surprised me a little bit, Ian Cole has, the amount that he can play um, and how quick he is still at his age. And that has really impressed me. So Ian Cole's kind of been the fixer a little bit, and he fits with Chernak really well. So it just makes logical sense that I think they've seen, yeah, Cole's pretty good, maybe even more than we thought. I, 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 I'm guessing now, but my impression was, okay, he's going to kill penalties. He's going to be maybe third pair. Uh, that was my expectation. He's beyond that for me. So he's moved up a pair, and apparently that's the way they see it too. So he and Chernak, that fits together. They have good chemistry, so it makes sense. So we're still in the process with, with Victor. You know, who's going to play with him? It looked like Bogosian maybe will spend some time there tonight. Now, nobody plays as much as Victor, right? So he gets multiple partners. And that's part of the issue, I think, for him sometimes, for Victor, that is, is trying to do I have to look after whom I'm playing with or are they okay or do they understand me or all that? And sometimes I think he's been off his game a little bit and he just needs to go play and it's up to that other guy to figure it out. I talked to Nick Purbix a couple of weeks ago and I said, in college, did you play with anybody who plays like Victor Hedman? He said, yes, yes, I'm used to that. He said, when I see him going and doing his thing, I know I have to fold over in the middle of the ice and it looked like it. Dave, you know, it, it looked, I watched him play and I went, yeah, he gets it. It's not a big deal. He, you have to see what he's doing. You don't just play in your lane, you know, which is what Chernax used to. So um, you're getting that sorted out. And as you said, Sergachev has to get ice time and he's going to match up too. They don't have to protect him. That's for sure. So that's why it's going to be a mix and match all the way along. It's not going to look as structured, I think, as it has been the last couple of years when Jan Ruda took a lot of the ice time with Victor and then still he played with other guys. And then you had Hedman and McDonough and then it followed it and Sergey and whomever else. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a revolving door, but it's looking more like maybe the most stable pair is Cole and Chernak. You know, it's interesting, Brian, and uh, again, uh, glad you're with us here and hope you had a, a great uh, couple of days off. I and did, a great Christmas. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, and this might be just putting two and two together and coming up with a, a, a five number, but I'm curious, with Victor Hedman, does it, does it sound like having a veteran defenseman makes the most sense playing with him, understanding everything you just said about, look, if a guy has to go, if, if Hedman wanders around like he does, you've got to be able to protect the middle of the ice or understand when to jump in, when not to. In other words, it feels like his defense partners, Ruta, Strawman, we're going to see Bogosian with him tonight. Those are guys who have played some hockey who are veteran players that maybe have seen that before. Does that make any sense when you start talking about maybe who fits better with Hedman as a partner? Not necessarily, Greg, no. Um, because of what I said a moment ago about Perbix, I mean, he's right out of college, and right. he, he's used to it. He's fine with it. it it's, it's a chemistry thing. It's 
It's training for sure, but it's also a player's natural instinct. I'm not taking anything away from Chernak. Chernak is an excellent player, and you don't want to lose his best assets either. He plays in a slot. He plays that right side, and he plays it darn well. He hands the, you know, he stands up at the blue line. He hangs in at the offensive blue line. He defends at the red line. He takes people to the outside and hammers them into the wall. You know exactly what you get with Eric Chernak, and you don't want to change that. Chemistry is a strange thing when it comes to defense pairs. You don't have time to talk out there. It's, the game is way too fast, and there's so many switches and crossings and everything else, especially at your own blue line. You have to have, yes, it's experience with your partner, but sometimes they said it's just it, it's a square peg in a round hole uh, for no particular reason and nobody's fault in either pair. We talk about it with forwards all the time. How do you put together good lines? Well, these two guys, I mean, they should be great together, and they're not. They, it just it just doesn't work. So is it necessarily experience? I guess that helps if you've the more you play, the more you've played with different types of guys and you can adjust to certain things. And I'm not saying Chernak can't do it, but when you're looking at repetition and going out there every shift and doing your job to your best abilities. Uh, that's the coach's jobs is to put guys together so you get the most out of everybody. And that's really what we're talking about here. One more question about the defense before you came in. I was wondering, I didn't have a prediction about this, but I was wondering with Bogosian sliding in as Hedman's partner for tonight, are we going to start to see more of Bogosian regularly as a guy who plays as opposed to pre-Christmas when it seemed like it was more of a rotation without really making a statement about Bogosian's performance? It seemed to be more that they wanted the other guys to come in. And I guess I'm just wondering, once you put him with Hedman, <laughs> and it almost seems to me like you're saying, okay, you're going to be in now more regularly. I'm just wondering your opinion, whether he plays with Hedman or not, do you think we're going to see more stability in terms of the same six playing game in, game out now that we're after Christmas? I think so and hope so for everybody's sake. Um, Zach Bogosian is a very mobile defenseman. I th- certainly, you know, we've seen him in little bits here and there with Victor. I think he can do it. He's still an excellent skater, even though he's over 30 years old. Zach Bogosian's always been a really good skater. And he, he's a really good defender, and he hits hard. I like it when he's in the lineup because he does bring some punch. He's another guy besides Chernak who makes deliberate contact all the time. And that it tends to be missing a little bit when when he's not there. I think they could use a little bit more of that. Um, I I don't know. My my instinct just says that. First of all, I don't know if Zach's been dinged up again lately. He's been out of the lineup more. He's been in the lineup over the last, what is it, probably five games, something like that now. So I don't know. Maybe he's had shoulder issues. Maybe he's had something else. I don't know. You know, you and I both, all three of us know it's really tough to get that, that injury info. That would help be a clue. But, I mean, I'm not driving myself nuts trying to find out if he's hurt or not. But my instinct on the other side also says that, yeah, they still have eight defensemen and they still have to have, in my mind, I don't think they want eight around. So the other guys, are they playing them more so that other teams and other people can look at them? That's a big part. of It gets overlooked by my fans and by people sometimes they're putting the guys out there on display a little bit there are you know this is how deals get made you know gms 
I don't have any inside information, but this is just my experience over the years. When you go, when you look at this and you go, okay, why is that happening? Who's out there? Um, and, and then you go, huh? And then something happens. So do I think they want, do they worry about losing somebody, putting them on waivers and sending them down? Yes, I think they do. They want to have that asset. Would you rather maybe make a deal instead of, running that risk which they're if they're going to send somebody down they run the risk of losing that guy completely for nothing so it makes it just makes me wonder um, about that about who's played over the last three or four or five games depending on what's happening behind the scenes and who's looking around a lot of teams in the league are hurting injuries on the blue line and the tampa bay lightning are a championship team with high level players and pretty big you know i mean pretty well-known guys we are Talk, we're talking about Flurry and, and Foot here too, who are not on on the higher end, but still Foot's been here and he's part of the championship team. Flurry was acquired by them. That gets everybody's attention around the league. So it just it just makes me wonder as all about the lineup and who's been in. And every time I come to the rink for a Lightning game, I'm interested to see who's playing tonight. Not that you had a ton of questions, but I'm curious when you compare the two forwards and defense, is there one that maybe you have less questions about now? And, and if so, why is it? Uh, between foot and flurry, you mean? To me, they are the ones that's, you know, seven, eight, six, seven, eight. I think he meant between the position of forward and the position of defense in terms of how to line up. If you had any questions, yeah, if you had any. It, you know, with question marks, maybe with the forwards to start the year, with oh. you know, what would their top twelve look like? Their you can answer six about foot and like. flurry though, if you want. <laughs> yeah, you can. Hey, yeah. Brian, whatever the hell you want to do. Is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I and I, I still am a little unsure. That's why I'm very interested to see. You know, just to finish off the whole defense discussion, what they're going to do. I, I think there is something that they that they need to do and probably want to do the the, the trade deadline still a ways down the road we got a lot of time between now and then so i'm thinking that just to stabilize things a little bit uh one way or the other i would think it would happen in the next couple of weeks but again that's only simply my explanation uh expectations um as far as the forwards go I think we still we've seen a lot of different combinations. Some of it's because of injury. Some of it uh, was interesting on the road. Coop, you know, doesn't hesitate like a lot of coaches to change lines, line combos when things aren't going very well. The Detroit game was going sideways. We saw uh, different combinations as the game went on. Who and what's what are the third and fourth lines going to look like? We're still really talking about that. And heading into the playoffs, which is down the road, who you play against will make a big difference. So it's valuable for them to use different combinations, um, even on the second and third line. I don't think the first line is going to change very much. Hagel, Point, and Cooch are pretty darn good. I don't think you're going to mess with that. But even even the second line, and that's where we start to see you know changes. We saw a little bit on the first too, but. Um, I don't think that first line is going to change. But, I mean, you could have, uh, you know, a Sorelli, Kalorn, something, Nemestikov kind of combination or, you know, for a third line, um, depending on who you play in the playoffs as a, as a matchup line. That you're going to play against a big, heavy line that's, that's really skilled. Say, you know, say it's a Barkov line in Florida or whatever, just, just for an example. So I think you can see a, a lot of different possibities, but even just running through from here till the playoffs, what's that 
third line going to look like? And so the last piece of the fourth line, Maroon and, and Belmar are the are fourth line guys pr- pretty much, right? And so uh, where's Balser's fit? We still don't know yet because he got hurt. And I think he was just starting to get a feel. So how long is that going to take? So Rudy Balser's coming into the picture who think he's got some speed, he's got some NHL experience. Where does that fit? I, I, I still don't think I have a good feel for what the third line uh, and slash, you know, the, 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 the other guy that ends up on the fourth line. How does that all fit in? No, I, I still don't have a good feel for it. You mentioned the Toronto game or the road trip, but it was in the Toronto game that Coop shuffled the lines, as he will do when things are not going well. He was looking for a spark. And other than the point Hegel-Kucherov line, they've still remained a little jumbled. We've seen the reunion of Sorelli and Kalorn. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm wondering, do you think that Kalorn getting moved off of the Paul Stamkos line was due more to they were looking for something different on that line? Or is it more about let's reunite Sorelli and Kalorn to answer kind of that question that you posed? We may have the makings of a matchup line here in the playoffs. Is it more that they wanted to see what they had from first to fourth line if you pull Kalorn off the second line? Or is it more that we're not happy with the way the second line looks? Let's start tinkering. I think it was the latter because I looked at that Paul Kalorn Stamkos combination in Toronto. And they didn't have much going. They didn't have much speed. It was just one of those nights. They they didn't they didn't do what they've done so well so many nights. So I wasn't really surprised that he switched that around. And one of the logical things to do is put Kalorn back with Sorelli because they do have so much history. So in in my opinion, he did it because of what he what he saw. And what he saw was, no, they, they just don't have it tonight. I got to do something about that. Let's give him a different feel. Let's give him a different look and see, see how, how that works. Um, and that's, no, it's what, that's what Coop does. You, you manage by what you see and what you feel right off, right off the bat. There are a lot of coaches that will tell you, well, they may not tell us, but <laughs> sometimes in the summer, you know, you can get, your coach will say, I know in the first, two shifts whether that guy's going or that guy's got it tonight or or he had and good coaches will do that like they get a feel it's an intuitive thing and it's what they see and feel on the bench and those first couple of shifts and they know no not tonight so i'm gonna have to do something about that and they start calculating already and then of course who they're playing against and what his plan was for that line perhaps you know at the beginning of the game that goes out the window so he's like every coach, good coach, is adjusting on the fly based on what he's seen maybe seven or eight minutes into the game. Like, okay, eh, what I thought this was going to do, play against these guys, blah, blah, blah. No, no. So that's already adjusting. And maybe he goes back to it. But you play by the clock and the score, but you have to start off somewhere with a plan. And, yeah, I I didn't like the way that line was going either. There is some intrigue, isn't there, and we're here with Brian Engblom on Lightning Radio. At least I do. Ross Colton and, and whether or not, Brian, he is a top six or a bottom six. And Maybe in the big picture, it doesn't mean a ton right now. But it feels like, and Dave and I were talking about this before you came on, his ability to shoot the puck makes him, I think, a little more intriguing than some of the other players on the bottom six. I know he's been fighting it a little bit this year, but do you get the sense that where he fits in, maybe short-term, long-term, is still up for debate a little bit? 
He's an interesting player because he's got lots of skill and he's shown that he can score goals. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he's a little off. I, I think he's lost a little confidence in his one-timer on the power play. He's misfiring a lot. They don't get a lot of ice time because the big guys are out there a lot, and, and, and that's why. So sometimes, you know, he figures, I get this one chance. You know, I, I got to score. I got I to gotta make a big shot on – uh, and maybe the pass isn't right in the wheelhouse or whatever. He's putting pressure on himself. That's that's a good thing and a bad thing. But Ross Colton, I, I think he's he's a gamer, and he wants to make an impact. Is he a top six player? No, not right at the moment. Could he slide up if if they have injuries? Yeah, yeah he's capable of doing that. And maybe... Coop will give him a shot at that somewhere along the line to, you know, to to up his level and his confidence level when it comes to scoring. But he's been he's been sort of in between for me a little bit. He's in a pack of guys for that third line role. That's I don't know what you know it's going to look like. Is it you know Sorelli or is it going to be Paul's the third line guy? We still don't know that yet technically. But let's say it's Sorelli. So you got Sorelli, you got Colton, you got Nemestikov, uh, you've got Balsers. Um, and I, oh, Corey Perry, even that we've seen on the third line. So there's five guys right there. Um, like, what's the combination? What's it going to be? And that's assuming that Paul's still the second line center. So you can also put him in that group. You're talking six line, six guys, excuse me, for a line, right. line, a line and a half, for a line and a third, however you want to say it. So there's still some, some work to do there. And Ross Colton is right in the middle of that. Let's take a 30,000-foot view of the season. Do you feel the Lightning have accomplished what they wanted to accomplish through 32 games at this point based on their standings position, how their their team game has grown, and what do you want to see from them in the final, what, 50 regular season games? Good question. Um, They – I think they've come a long way. I think – I don't know if you ever say they've accomplished what they've what they want to. Um, I don't think they feel maybe as solid as they have the last two years or so, maybe three years. But that's that's an evolution, you know. That's every team in the league has to deal with that, and because of the key player losses, like if you if Andre Palat's still on the first line, I mean that that's a huge piece, right? We should never forget. We talk about McDonough all the time. Andre Palat missing as such an integral part up front should not be overlooked, and that's why we're talking about these, you know, top or at least the second and third line in a lot of ways, because Hagel was one of those guys, right, that dropped down into second or third line role. He was a checker. Coop talked about him this morning, about Hagel's progress this year and has stepped in and became the Andre Palat, and thank goodness for that. He's had a terrific year, I think. Hagel's been outstanding. He's on his way to a 25, maybe 30-goal season, um, and he has fit in, and he doesn't just tag along with Point and Kucherov. He's a damn good player on that line. So thank goodness for that. So, But we shouldn't overlook that, that Pally, who was a cornerstone guy sort of quietly, has not been around this year. Um, so uh, those types of things are, are still sorting themselves out. Their, their team game is better, no doubt. Um, they were sluggish at the start of the year and, and the new faces and, and, and whatever, maybe a little hangover this year. As I said, I, I, I thought I maybe saw a little bit of that after three years in the finals, uh, all of those things, but yeah, their, their game is better. And so integrating all those players and this is how we play. This is what we do. 
that's a process for the coaches, and they've had they have that thirty thousand foot view too, and they also have the three foot three second <laughs> view too, right? Which in the midst of any game, which is why the line changes. So balancing out those things and trying to bump everybody along is is really a difficult process for the coaching staff. But I think I think they're feeling a lot more solid. Uh, no matter who's out there on the ice, and I think they've they've shown that guys have integrated themselves into the system. Uh, I think even Vassy, you know, Vassy was for his standards a little bit off early on. His last uh, I don't know seven eight pick a number, you know, seven eight maybe even ten starts. I think we're we're considerably better than early on. Um, and look, he's earned that too, right? He's had a lot of games and a lot of pressure, so. Um, I think they've proven a lot of things to themselves, and there's still some work still to go. You know, let me just interject here, Greg. The, yeah. The the interesting number that jumps out at me, the average ice time for Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point. You remember at the start of the year, Brian, they were all well over 20 minutes. I think Kuch might have been at 22 and Point and Stamkos over 21. You look now today, Kuch is still at 21, just barely. Point is at 20. And Stamkos is at 19, and fans might say, well, why aren't they playing more? That, But that's what the coaches want. That tells you that Coop now has more confidence in some of the other guys. He doesn't have to play them as much. You, you can't, especially after the three years that they just had, um, he can't run the big guys into the ditch, you know, by February. Um, and as good as they are, uh, that's what happens. So yeah, you you have to spread it around. For a while, that the top line and the top line's been pretty consider you know consistently good production all year long, and you need that from every top line on every good team. Um, I, I certainly have no fault with that top line at all. But there were times where he ran them a lot. There were 24, 25 minutes, coach double shifting, pointer going out in different combinations because there were some issues, you know, with the team trying to get rolling and on track and uh i think that's where i think coop is is just starting to be appreciated at the league level um uh maybe over the last you know two years or so um where maybe he wasn't before um like he knows his bench he knows his players and his abilities and his uh growth as a coach and and how he line changes and matches up and all that kind of stuff and who's going you know back to who's going tonight who's really got it and you can tell whether it's Kucherov or whether it's your fourth line guys you can tell if they're a little bit off and you know there were games on this road trip where I looked at Cooch and Pointer and went yeah that's not so much they're not real sharp tonight hey it's an 82 game schedule you know what are you going to do so he can't run him in the ditch um, and the combination of getting other guys going and getting some flow and understanding that the newer guys or the newer combinations are are integrating now and playing more solid that he can spread the workload out the key thing there was Sorelli coming back and Sorelli coming back allowed him to do a lot of things. It really stabilized a lot. I mean, I, I mean, I, I knew we missed him, you know, just watching him play. But when Sorelli got back in the lineup, I went, ah, yes, that's it. He's it's almost like he's rounded out the forward group, and you no know doubt. now you, you no take doubt. a look at yeah, you take a look at maybe the rest they received. I, I, I'll end on this, and I'm curious what you think. Brian, you know, when you've been on a lot of winning teams, teams that are going for uh, a second consecutive cup, we know what the Lightning have done the last three years. How do you make the regular season 
interesting for guys who have won as much as they have to not get too complacent and bored during the regular season. Because as you just said, 82 games, it's long. This team, we know at times, maybe hasn't played the greatest towards the end of the regular season, but they they flip a switch, and boy, are they they battle-tested and ready to go to get to the playoffs. But getting to the playoffs sometimes can seem like a drag. I know they're professionals, and maybe that's the answer, but how do you find the ability from within to keep things fresh and still play at a relatively high level through an 82-game season when you've been at the top for the last three years, basically? I think Cooch, uh, Coop, rather, John Cooper, does it with rest and days off. He gives them a lot of time off, and that's a necessity. Now, he has to trust those guys in all those days off. Look at this Christmas break that he gave me. He gave him a nice, long stretch off. But he's got to trust that at least they're doing something, you know, on their own so they don't come back and, and have lost five days or whatever it is worth of, uh, you know, training. Will, will they be a little off tonight? Sure they will. Timing will be a little bit off. It, it happens. But it's a rest, you know, away from the game. Um, and so I think he's done it with rest. Sometimes I'm like, wow, these guys get a lot of days off. And rightfully so, sir. So I think that's where he starts. Um, but it's a business, Greg, and you're expected to come and have a business-like attitude, and this is about winning tonight. It's not the player's job to have the 30,000-foot view, Dave, that you were talking about. That's the coach's job. Don't do the coach's job. Do the player's job. You're supposed to be ready to play, and you're supposed to win every night. They have terrific leadership that understands that. Stammer's very businesslike. So is Hedman. They, they are driven to win all the time. They don't like to lose. I mean, we watch practice. Victor's a great example. Victor Hedman. They do those three-on-three drills, and everything's competitive in practice. And that is another way to do it, keep things fresh in practice. You keep that competitive juice going. Whereas they, if they're playing a three-on-three drill, the losing team, down and back. Is that going to kill him? No. But you watch guys like Victor Hedman, who's, you know, barking at somebody on his team if he's on the losing team that has to go down and back, right? Those are the types of things that are run by the players. That's culture, if you want to call it that. That's, that's experience of the players understanding how to keep things loose, but at the same time, keep focused. And they have enough experienced guys that know how to do that. The coaching staff can't do all of that for you. But Coop is the first to say they they have a really good room that knows how to navigate that stuff. But it is your job to have a business-like attitude about this is this game. We better execute. You can't screw around in December. The points here are really important. And if you slip out, you look around the league. I looked at my favorite stat again today, Dave. Mm -hmm. Who's won eight of the last ten games? Three teams. Nobody in the West. Nobody in the entire Western Conference has won 8 out of 10. That's just my number, Greg, that I use. I look from time to time to see who's on a roll. Two teams right now are, who have won 9 out of 10. I think it's Carolina and Washington. And the yeah. Rangers Carolina's are in there, too. Carolina's won 9 straight. 9 straight. Yeah. So um, that's just my number, 8 out of 10. And I think there were – darn, I forget the number, though. I think there were 18 teams or something like that who were under 500 in their last 10 games. In other words, have won fewer than five out of the last 10. So I keep an eye on things like that. It's a tough league. 
So you can't afford to drop behind. It's it's losing streaks. And so that's where the Headmans and the Stamkoses, like, with the, the hate to lose. Everybody wants to win, but you have to have those guys that hate to lose. You have to stem the losing tides. And that's what knocks you out of the playoffs in a very tough National Hockey League. Winning streaks are great, but you can't have long losing streaks. Amen to that. Well, Brian, we appreciate it. We always enjoy talking a little hockey to you. Were you able to stay warm last couple of days? Were you all right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's getting okay. better now. Right. Like tomorrow and You're Friday, from I think Winnipeg. it's I know. I, yeah, yeah. This, you just, should be out in a T-shirt and shorts when it's 40 degrees. No, we just dressed warm, Dave. <laughs> yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like when I was, you know, seven years old and we're playing it outside at 20 below. No, those days are long gone, that's for sure. I, but I have enough parkas. And for this next road trip to Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg, the Ooh. warm. yeah, I'm going in the closet and the warmest parka is coming out for the first time all year. No doubt about that. I was asking yeah, I was asking Brian on the last road trip because he talked about playing in Winnipeg as a kid outside. I said, "Did any kids get frostbite?" He's like, "Oh yeah, some oh, kids sure. got frostbite." Oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. In cold toes all the time. Some kids would be bawling their eyes out. But do they want to yeah. stop playing? No. But they just use hey, stomp your feet. That's what the coach will stomp your feet. You know, kick the side of the boards while you're in. Because uh, yeah, I didn't play indoors till I was nine. I think I started. So you had at four organized hockey outside. Oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah. We, I think it, these it, were pickup games. It was all, no, no. This was organized from house league right through till it was called playground C. At that, uh, I didn't play indoors until I was nine. We didn't have enough rinks. We didn't have enough arenas. So yeah, we played, and I was a block and a half from the outside rink. So which was great. I could go skating every day. And I know in house league, when you're like five, six years old, they would call it off at twenty below. And in January, coming up to the time, <laughs> like to the that. time now, we yeah. you know we'd go two weeks where it was t- somewhere between twenty and forty below for like two weeks straight, morning, noon, and night. Wow! And uh, but they would call it off. You wouldn't play um, if it was twenty below or or worse. I think that was for the parents. We didn't care. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, who had it worse? Probably the parents, because they weren't moving around. No they were just kid, standing exactly. there watching. That's what I mean. And you could tell what time of year it was in Winnipeg by how high the the, the uh, your your parents were standing above the boards. In other words, how much <laughs> snow had been shoveled off the ice and how much it had snowed. So they started off, you could only see them maybe from the chest up. And then by this time of year, now they're standing above the boards and they're looking down on you because the snow banks are so high around the rink. But yeah, that's what I remember about those days. But uh, yeah, we uh, it was uh, those those were the days. All right, trying to stay warm when it's uh, 20 below is pretty tough, even when you're a kid. And now you, you, you break a lot of sticks too because the sticks get so brittle. You're out there for a couple of hours. You take a slap sure. shot and you're bawling your eyes out because that was my favorite stick and I only have one more. <laughs> Hope I get one for Christmas. <laughs> I love it. That's a great story. Now you get arrested if you played in uh, minus 20, the way oh, things uh, are yeah, today. I, but, you know, yeah, you that's about know. it. It'd be cruelty. <laughs> <laughs> they probably built more rinks now so that oh, they're all No doors. doubt. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I don't think they play much outdoor. You know, they just go skating and kids can do whatever. But, yeah, yeah that's, well. That's great. I'm, I'm from the Flintstone generation. You know that. By the way, <laughs> I don't think you heard this unless you talked to somebody from Montreal and you heard it independently. But Paul Kennedy and I were talking to Martin McGuire, the longtime French radio play-by-play guy for the Canadians, and they finished in Dallas before mm-hmm. the Christmas break, but they flew home to Montreal, which is where we didn't go. We stayed away from that area because of the storm on the Friday night. Right. 
And I said, how was it getting into Montreal? I said, it was one of the worst flights yeah. that he can remember. The plane was almost sideways. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was the wind, right? Which is yeah. why they canceled our game in in Buffalo, and we got to come home. But they had to two get days home. early. Yeah, well, I know. I yeah. mean, I guess they didn't have to, but yeah. And on top of that, they had, I think, airplane trouble too with one of the planes. There was a delay because they were supposed. Maybe that was from Colorado to Dallas. Uh, I read the article about it, and they said that on top of the weather issues, and they're wondering what the heck is going to happen. And then, yeah, on top of it, they had a delay because of some kind of uh, problem with an airplane. But, yeah, mm. yeah, that whole storm in the Buffalo area, it was about the snow for sure, but it was about the wind. Cause I don't know what it ended up being, but they were saying 50, 60-mile-an-hour yeah. winds, and, and that's why they canceled our game, and thank goodness for that. Incredible. Well, we'll see you tonight. Thank Get you, Brian. Get back some hockey okay. here. Thanks, sure. guys. Thank you, sir. See you tonight. We always appreciate it. All right. There he goes. Brian Engblom joining us right there. And we will get you set for the game tonight. Pre-game skate show will begin at 6. I'll have the network pre-game at 6.30. Dave and Phil with the game call at yep. 7. And then we'll be back at it tomorrow, noon to 1, breaking it all down for yeah. another game. Getting ready for Lightning and Rangers. I'm actually looking at Brian's yeah. standings. I'm calling him Brian's standings because when he mentioned it's the only reason I opened it. The Rangers actually have eight wins they, in their last two, ten, right? but they're coming yeah. off a loss. They lost yeah. to Washington last night. So it was Washington, Islanders Carolina, and the Rangers have yeah. eight, eight wins or more. The top three teams in the Atlantic, the Boston, Toronto, and the Lightning, all have seven. So yeah. they've done well, and the Lightning want to make sure that they they keep that they keep that number high. Points there tonight. See if they can take advantage of it. Yep, so absolutely. All right, partner. I'll see you tonight. See you tonight. Great job. Thanks to Brian Engblom. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to you for listening. Hope you had a great Christmas and uh, were able to enjoy some time away and listening to our show as well. We always appreciate you guys. We'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to one. But tonight, again, the game. Make sure you listen to it all right here on Lightning Radio. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.